eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Always aggravated. A Mike Valenti signature podcast. This week, we've got a couple things to uh, cover. One, it is volume two of two different bits we do on this silly little pod. One, well, you remember we did this celebration of Roadhouse, the the movies that our show is obsessed with. Well, today's going to be volume two, Casino, an all-time classic. If you listen to our regular show here in Detroit, you hear some of the quotes and the bits seep into things. Well, guess what? We're going to have that celebration today, and we are also going to do volume two of the shittiest, I mean, worst (laughs) franchises in sports. I can't wait to shit on Jeffrey Loria. It is Miami Marlins, Florida Marlins. It doesn't matter what city or what name they are. They are absolute shit. I can't wait to get into this. I hate Loria. I've come to hate Derek Jeter, the new owner. This is going to be epic. Let's get into it. If you've listened to the pod for any amount of time, you know we kicked it off with a bang. Our show is obsessive about certain movies, and I admit some of them are shitty, some of them aren't. Some are classics. I think today is a classic. But if you listen to our regular show, you hear it. You know certain little bits and little one-line, take it easy, take it easy. (laughs) It's certain movies we just love. So we haven't done one of these in a while, and I wanted to do one because Roberto's basically been begging for nine weeks like a puppy who wanted uh, a treat. When can we do another one? When can we do another one? Well, today we're going to do another one, and it is one of my personal favorite movies of all time. I think it's a great film and certainly a higher caliber than Roadhouse. But volume two of our movie celebration deep dive, it is the classic Casino or as Sully calls it, that casino movie. <laughs> it's a good movie. Uh, Roberto, if you will, you have prepared some research and talking points to discuss. I know this will devolve into you just doing Pesci imitations. Well, I can't wait for that. Once we get, soon we'll get to the best scenes part. But yeah, you know, for people that haven't seen the movie, it's directed by it. Martin Scorsese, released in 1995, De Niro, Sharon Stone, Joe Pesci. Uh, it was based on a book uh, by Nick Pileggi called Casino Honor, Love and Honor in Las Vegas. Uh, I've read the book several times. You, it's it's a must read. It's how do you, hold on, hold on. You're not going to get away with that shit here. Well, how do <laughs> stop? 
<laughs> Stop. How do, how do you read a book several times? Who the, I have never in my life okay, if you read ask, a book and then I go back and go, this shit was so good, I got to read it again. You could ask my wife this. I, I have a huge cabinet in my you know man cave that has all my music autobiographies and mobster books. I can read the same book 10 times. That is a sickness. And find something in there that I, that I I've didn't. watched the movie a thousand times. I, a, I've never read the book. And B, no book I've ever read has ever been opened again. <laughs> like literally, oh, this book's done. Shut bookshelf. It's a good bathroom book. You just keep it in there, and uh, oh my, you God. know. All right, carry on. So now, it, the book for the people is the book really worth reading if you've seen the movie a thousand times? Well, what's cool about it is that there's a lot more there. So if you love the movie, of course, I, I would say that the book is sort of like a four-hour version of Casino. Did Sharon Stone die earlier in the book than the movie because she should have been dead an hour earlier in the movie? No, she lasts till the end of the book. Damn it. <laughs> but uh, We'll get to that later. So yeah, the movie, you know, De Niro obviously stars as Sam Ace Rothstein. Um, he's a gambling handicapper. Uh, works for the Chicago mob to see oversee the day-to-day -day operations of the Tangiers Aces Casino. high! Now, a little trivia. Sully, was the Tangiers a real casino? I don't believe it was, no. That is correct. <laughs> it was based on the Stardust, which um, De Niro's character is based on uh, Frank Lefty Rosenthal, who ran the Stardust, the Fremont Hacienda Casinos in Las Vegas in the 70s and early 80s. And if Roberto could time travel, he would go back to oh, this era. of course. Yes. Now, Joe Pesci plays Nicky Santoro in the movie, a real-life mob enforcer based on a real-life guy in Chicago named Anthony Spalatro. And one of the nuttiest, oh, my God. scariest characters In real life, too. Ever. Yeah. See, now you're going to get me to read this book. I got vacation I'll bring it coming in up. Yeah. I don't oh, yeah. want your book. I'll On have the to plane. I'll have to blacklight it. I don't want that book. <laughs> I'll buy my own fucking book. I don't want anything that's been in your house for nah. too long. <laughs> the other big guy character. just tells me it's a toilet <laughs> book. He wants to give me the book. <laughs> the fuck out of here. <laughs> You insane. Now Sharon Stone plays uh, Ace Rothstein's wife Ginger, who was based on in the real book. Her name was Jerry McGee. I wanted her dead within forty-five minutes of her debut in the film. <laughs> this is Casino's greatest failing as a movie. Sharon Stone lasted too long. It got to a point where every scene I wanted her dead. Well, yeah, she was very good in that role, too. Give me my money, that. Sam. <laughs> I love when Pesci yells at her. He's like, how am I going to get your money now? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, let's get into that then. Before, because I also got some trivia. I want to talk about the soundtrack, but, but really I want to get into the best scenes. I have 10 scenes here, not in any order, but you tell me. Just based on, I'll, let me give you two words. I'm just going to give you two words of each, each best scene. Okay. You tell me if you agree. Oh, I'm going to do terrible at this. All right. Pesci and uh, De Niro's banker. The guy that's talking to the, that he wants his money back. Oh, when it, when when he arrives at his house. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. What oh great. Well, tell you, well, well, you got to give the people a little elaborate. <laughs> well, he says uh, he, he tells the guys like eh, I think I want my money back, and he's like, oh come on, Nick, you know we can't do that. You know he's like, you know what? I think you got the wrong impression about me. I think in all fairness, I should tell you what it is that I do. <laughs> He's real calm, super calm. Roberto like, has never been into anything more than what's happening right now. He says, now. Uh, for instance, I'm going to wake up early tomorrow and get dressed, walk over to the bank, walk in and see you. And 
if you don't have my money for me, I'll crack your fucking head wide open in front of everybody in the bank. <laughs> and, and correct me if I'm wrong, De Niro's in like a pink bathrobe in this just, scene. He's like, oh my God. Oh my God. He's got you like, can't do that? He's got that cigarette holder like Cruella DeVille. It's, it's, by the way, Sully has yet to crack a smile. This is not resonating <laughs> no, at so all. No, so here's the him. thing with me with Casino 2 is that I find myself laughing more at the movie than... You know, shocked or intrigued or you know, you know what scene made horrified. <laughs> I was part horrified and part laughing hysterically. Still to this day, is when Pesci hooks up with Sharon Stone in a construction, uh, <laughs> like in a trailer. <laughs> trailer. <laughs> I'm gonna take care of you. Oh, will you uh, sponsor me? And it's uh, like, oh my god, so what is happening? Yeah. No, you're both dead now. It's just a total. <laughs> uh, it's just drugged out, Sharon yeah, I, Stone. I, I do have one of those too. Okay, how about this one? This is epic. The cowboy cowboy boot scene. The guy, uh, Nikki, sends a guy into the casino. Uh, to skim it, basically, and there's this like real like you know cowboy guy. He's got his feet on a table, cowboy hat on, and um, Don Rickles, who plays the casino manager. I thought Rickles was unbelievable in this. Yeah, movie. and Alan King's in it. So a lot of like old school, like you know, nothing came better up in Sinatra era. Nothing guys. better than Rickles taking orders to go get a shotgun and like he's waddling <laughs> around. I, I thought Remember, Rickles was flawless. Remember, Rickles asked the guys like, Will "You please get your feet off the table." He's like. The, the cowboy guy's like, fuck yeah. And he goes back to, Rickles goes back to De Niro. He goes, fucking asshole won't budge. <laughs> it's like, the guy looked like he was going to break a plate over his head. But no, I thought Rickles was, it was one of those best little character, like uh, a cameo. He was awesome. Man. Um, another one is, um, obviously this is a big one, is Cheater's Justice, where the two guys are in the casino trying to, you know, work a work an angle and cheat the casino. Yeah. And they recognize this and bring the guy in the back room. They take a hammer to his uh, knuckles. And uh, and when I doing the research on this, I read that that was really a, a thing that would happen very regularly. Well, yeah, it was the seventies and eighties yeah, in I mean, Vegas, like and the, the mob ran West, a lot yeah. of casinos. What do you What do you think? You were going to put a complaint into corporate? No, I mean it was a totally. Well, I thought he was going to send him to HR. Yeah, uh, sir, you're going to be blacklisted from here. No, I mean it was a different day and age. All right, a quick break just to talk about our launch sponsor. It's the D Las Vegas. You're looking to get away, relax, have a good time. D Las Vegas has everything you need. I mean, hell, we're there every March for March Madness. And as I've said before, there ain't no better setup. On the strip, off the strip, it don't matter. Go to the D, go to that chalet upstairs. It ain't nothing better. Bottom line, next time you go to Vegas, check out the D.com. Completely renovated. Downtown is not what you remember. Hell of a lot of new places. It's a damn good time there's really no other way to put it and again the d has everything you need you're not going to spend a ton of money on the room take that money and go do fun things with it do what sully does make a bunch of losing basketball bets or well or for sully fall asleep on the horse racing machine on the second floor vintage casino the bottom line the d's got it all they got the sports book they got the long bar they got it all check it out the d.com to book your stay today it's the d.com the d las vegas and as you know, it is your home for Detroit sports in Vegas. Now, this isn't so much as a scene. Well, the one scene I do love is the diner scene. But I will say this when this I say this name, what does it mean for you? And I say Lester Diamond. Okay. Uh, the, the golf hustler, yeah. the pimp. You know, he's wearing like a Gucci uh, dress suit. I just always think about him when De Niro yells at him. He's like, get the, get the fuck out of here in the diner. He's walking out like this. He's like. 
Oh, right, this is bullshit. This is that. It's and James, James Woods, Woods plays Lester Diamond. Now here's the best part. He walks out of that. Di- I think the worst part of that scene. He walks out thinking he's going to be okay. Once <laughs> yeah, he clears no. the door, he thinks he's going to be all right. Then De Niro goes, hey, "Come here, I'm going to show you something." Yeah. He grabs her by the arm and he brings her to the door. And then, of course, again, I just wish they would have shot her to death in this scene. <laughs> she starts freaking out because Lester's getting his ass kicked in the parking lot. Oh. At that point. If De Niro just goes, okay, I've had enough. She wants to be with this Beverly Hills pimp in this whole routine. Yeah, I, you just you gotta get rid of well, her. Yeah, and a lot of, in a lot of the ways, the the De Niro character in that movie can kind of be seen as like a sucker. You know what I mean? Like he was very smart with with men and everybody around him, but for some reason, this woman had such a hold on him, and, and, and she Here's could come back and back. And he okay now now this he is, had a th- soft spot. This, well, no, I disagree. I think this is where I'm going to get made fun of. But I think he was the only character in the film that had a sense of humanity. Everyone else was gone. <laughs> it was a degenerate. No, everyone else was gone. They lived in their world of absolutes. And no matter what, to, to get the things they wanted, they would do whatever it took. Right. De Niro's the only one who had a sense of humanity and rules and order. Every other character was complete chaos. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's what, it, what, it's what made him so endearing. Because you were in this sea of people that I don't think you could root for another character. Like, what sicko watches Casino and goes, yeah, I was really pulling for Les Diamond in that scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I was really pulling for Nikki to get away with treatment people like shit no he deserved to end up happening what happened with de niro he's the only guy who ever thought about things yeah he was calculated except the scene where he got up in his boxers from behind his desk that's still a classic yeah that that's one of the trivia things here that the costume budget for casino was one million dollars robert de niro had 70 different suits made all made from scratch well they had to be because you wouldn't find that shit anywhere (laughs) else teal he came came out one scene looking like a fucking clementine i mean it was (laughs) even pesci makes fun of him in the movie yeah but he Mm. had that the best thing honestly his glasses in the final scene oh, when they fell so bigger than his head. <laughs> no, but they're awesome because oh, he's sitting no. there. He's got the horse races in the back, and he's talking about still picking winners. And they fast forward to him being this old man. If I could find the Ace Rothstein final <laughs> scene glasses, look at those. <laughs> Honestly, would you? If I could find those, would you wear them? Ab- absolutely. When wh- we go, while we're on when, the air, when we go to Vegas, I will wear those every day. I want to find these. We're going to be in. Vegas. <laughs> Vegas in a couple of weeks. We should do the show from the D in Ace Rothstein glasses and, and suits. Okay, that's not happening. <laughs> that Sully's gonna be. He's gonna look like the Kool Aid Man, teal flavor. No, we're gonna dress him as Lester Diamond. <laughs> Come in, come in, Sully in like a Gucci a suit, members with only jacket. Every, yeah, pockets everywhere. He's got like an admiral badge. That's how Sully walks away from the there's blackjack like, table. Like sans belt pants, a belt with no uh, yeah. pants with no belt on. That's him. honestly, if you've ever wanted to know what it's like when Sully loses at blackjack, it's Lester Diamond walking out of the <laughs> diner. This is bullshit. Now speaking of that, another one of my great scenes. I'm waiting to see if Sully will do this. Is that scene where Pesci's like all drunk at the table? And he's 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 throwing the cards right in the dealer's face. Oh, he was he was being a complete yeah, jerk. He's like, he's like, take this stiff and pound it up your fucking ass. 
It's a bold move, man. Honestly, if you're listening to this and you're younger and it doesn't resonate, I just am, watch it. I'm not asking you. I'm begging you. Like Roadhouse was a joke, cheap entertainment. Like no, this you, is high, the ma- the making of this is high quality. The fi- the film, the well, what's funny is. It's the same crew, essentially, from Goodfellas, transferred over. To Vegas. You're going from New York to Vegas. Right. And it's awesome. Like, would you put, where would you put this amongst movies in the last, forget about the Oscar stuff. Those movies largely are just not relatable. But in the last 30 years of just, you're sitting down and you're a guy and you just want to watch a really good movie. Where does Casino rank in the last 30 years? Because I think it's pretty damn it's high. Top 10 for me. That's all I needed to hear. Of course. Now, you'll get people who go, well, what about the movie Nebraska? Well, the movie sucked. No, yeah. And then, you know, the timeline of it. So 1995, the movie comes out. I think it was around maybe around like Christmas time. Sounds about right. I remember I didn't see it in theaters. I remember that my dad did, and he thought it was good. And right away, he went out and bought the soundtrack. Take me through the soundtrack, because this is something because I don't have, and I'm sure you probably have vinyl and it, B-sides. The, and The casino soundtrack changed my life. Oh, come on. I, I'm, I'm telling you. This is as bad as your opener about I, reading a book seven times. <laughs> I just The music I discovered because of that two-disc set changed me forever. I never. It was the first time that I ever heard Louis Prima. It was the first time I ever heard you know, Angelina, Basin Street, all those great Louis Prima songs. First time I ever heard them. I'm guilty as charged in this respect. I don't think I've ever listened to the soundtrack, even though I know the songs from other places. The, but wait, two discs? Yeah, it was a two disc. Uh, Signed, what's that? Signed Sully. Mike, they, they used to make these <laughs> yeah, things called yeah. compact yeah. discs. And the VHS had to come in two tapes. No. So you could, yeah, you could take a little intermission halfway through. But another, another song on the soundtrack that just changed my life. I'm telling you, everybody listen to it. I'll put a link on Twitter. We'll figure out oh, to get this. Oh, because that's what everyone's everybody. waiting for. It's a song called Compared to What by Les McCann and Eddie Harris. And if you're a fan of the movie, you'll recognize the song instantly. But it, it just changed my thinking on blues music. What do you mean music. changed your and, life? You know, I was, just, I was a kid at that point, 15 years old. I was into rap and into like hard rock and heavy metal. And this really opened me up to jazz and stuff from the 50s and doo-wop and yeah, that's great. It blues. Didn't, it didn't change anything because you're still dressing like it's 1995. <laughs> You still come in here looking like Eddie Vedder. <laughs> Open collar flannels. You got a Dodgers t-shirt underneath the shirt today. But what? you gotta but you gotta admit though that Scorsese is a genius when it comes to the the music in his movies, which he does pick himself. He was on a run. I thought some of the nineties movies with De Niro and Pesci and Leota, that crew. Departed. Yeah, oh uh, listen, there there is about a fifteen year span. It's inarguable. I love this movie. I think whether you're old, young, you can just appreciate it for being an awesome movie. And it does a great job, because this is what I think good movies do. They're transportive. It makes you feel like you are in or you have an understanding of what Vegas was like, old Vegas, in the 70s, early 80s. What it was really like. Yeah. And that is really hard to do, because you're still sitting on your couch. But I'm telling you. Good, great movies. They have that power. They just give you a sense that they transport you. Casino does that. Now, a couple of fun facts I'll give you about the movie. It's This is ranked number six of all time of movies, of how many times the F word is used in the movie. Number six. <laughs> so uh, the movie is 178 minutes long, features f- 
uh, the F word 422 times every 2.4 seconds. Yeah, my my dad has commented that it, it hurt his enjoyment. This and Goodfellas. Too much cursing. Yeah, a lot of older people don't like. I remember watching with my grandfather, and he like like quarter way through would be like, "No, nah, can't do it." No, can I guess number? Can't see yeah, I can't do it. Can I guess number one? Uh, I know the one you're thinking. I think it was number three. Wolf Wall Street. Yeah, that was yeah. number three. What is number one? Um, one is a movie called Swearing at the Movie, of yeah, course. Okay, no interest. Uh, nothing really invaluable till three is Wolf of Wall Street. Four is Summer of Sam, the Spike Lee movie. Um, casino after casino be straight out of Compton. Really? Uh, Goodfellas I, I is fifteen. Wait, Goodfellas was fifteen. Yeah, Menace wow. to Society fourteen. <laughs> okay, <laughs> these, all these are like my favorite movies. <laughs> Roberto and his addiction to foul language. Yeah, so yeah, that's where I learned all that. All right, run down the fast so. facts and then let's wrap this puppy up. All right, here's another one. When first first submitted to the Motion Picture Association, the film received an NC-17 rating due to the, the violence. Mm -hmm. Several ed edits were made in order to reduce the rating to R. I mean, I can't believe what they would have to take out to make it even an R. I mean, you have guys getting beaten with baseball bats, murdered, guys with their head in vices. Is there a director's cut of the original NC-17? Not that I know of. I, I have to look. But I not wonder, that I know how of. much more violent could it be? There's a, a scene in the film where... Uh, De Niro's car gets blown up. And yeah. he you know, he's uh, trying to be assassinated. There was that, like, boilerplate, and that saved his life. And that was actually a true story. Frank Lefty Rosenthal was driving this sort of, uh, it was a Lincoln or Cadillac or something, and only that year's model, like a 1981 model, they had to put a big metal plate under the driver's seat to align the vehicle, and it saved his life. He was I able, didn't. He, he, if you, you can look up on YouTube actual news footage from that. He walked away from a car bombing. I see. I didn't know that that was real. I thought that was just dramatic effect. And you know, one of our other scenes was that uh, we loved when he did the show Ace is High. Oh my God, that's one of my favorite. Oh my scenes, God, tell right? me he's not juggling. Tell me he's not. Oh my God, he's juggling. Well, that was true too. He had a, he had a show called the Frank Rosenthal Show that was on for many years and had huge guests. Frank Sinatra came on there. Bob Hope, uh, Wayne Newton, Liberace. He had all the, I the loved, big guys. I love the scene, and De Niro does it perfect. He's sitting at the desk. Every, and he gets introduced. <laughs> now, Ace is high. And he's sitting there and he's doing this little. Do, 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 do. All right, so he's doing and he, and he does the little clap, like the little like sarcastic. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And, and then this is this is our favorite one. <laughs> My first guest, Frankie Avalon. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Frankie Avalon was like, I'm pleased to announce we have eight children. And he's like, oh, hey, that's. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. What a blessing. <laughs> yeah, it was my pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> it's, listen, I, I don't know what film critics say about it. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's our podcast. I will tell you if I have to make a top 10, this movie's on it. It's and it's run. on all the time. Yeah, that's the other thing. Roadhouse and this, these are the types of movies movies we obsess over because they're on all the time. Once a week. I'll be in the middle of watching a game, and my commercial break entertainment is Casino for the 678th time. <laughs> so if you haven't seen it, yeah. watch it. Or watch it in your man cave somewhere because what I find hard now is that it's hard to watch it. With your children in the room. <laughs> well, if it's on cable. <laughs> and you don't want to watch that bad edited one. Like one they would show like. Oh, like where Pesci's cursing somebody <laughs> yeah. in the middle of it. He's like, yeah. I'm going to kick your sassafras ass. <laughs> Forget you. <laughs> Forget you. Mother Dubber. It's like, I can't watch this. May as well have the Japanese subtitles, like the voiceovers. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. 
Winter's here, and that means energy bills are rising. You can reduce your power bill with help from Power Home Solar, the number one residential solar provider in Michigan and one of the top solar installation companies in the entire USA. Power Homes installs American-made panels with a 30-year warranty. It allows you to own your power, not just continually rent it from a power company. As an official partner of the Detroit Lions, the company installed solar panels at Ford Field and the Allen Park facility earlier this year and seeks to continue building a movement towards cleaner, greener energy by seeing if solar is right for your home. Go to powerhome.com. That's powerhome.com. Or you can give them a call, 1-800-SOLAR-15. That's 1-800-SOLAR-15 to schedule your free solar consultation today don't rent your power. Own it with help from Power Home. So it's volume two of the worst franchises in sports. If you missed uh, volume one, you can find that on the pod, obviously. It was the New York Knicks. They had a composite shit score of 26.5. There are the four pillars of futility. And you may ask, well, geez, why are there only four? Well, it's my rules. That's why. Uh, but basically, David, do we have the four pillars for the people? One is, uh, you know, your owner shithead index. Every bad franchise, almost exclusively as a bad owner, okay? So that's that's one, and that plays a huge role. Uh, the second category is simple. It's on-field suckitude. How many games do you lose? How futile are you? Uh, number three, it would be the off-field embarrassment not losing, but other shit that you do that brings embarrassment upon you and your municipality. And then number four, are your fans assholes? It, it's really <laughs> that simple. So the Knicks were chronicled in part one. Today, we are going to get one of the strangest teams on my list. And David, you were kind enough to put a lot of this research together. Uh, Roberto, I want you aware the Marlins are a baseball team. So it might help in some of your uh, pithy remarks. I but... love the Florida Marlins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oddly enough, Marlin fans have as much baseball knowledge as you do. But let me give you the brief team history. Now, here's where the Marlins are very unique. They have only been in existence 26 years. Yes. Remember, the Knicks were 72 last week. 26 years. They have a winning percentage under 500 at uh, 467. Only two playoff appearances in 26 years. You go, wow, that's pretty shitty. The problem? They won the World Series <laughs> both times they made it. I'll be damned. They are so unique because here's what they've done. They made the playoffs twice, won the World Series twice, and then had two of the most shameful fire sales. It was like Roberto at a vinyl store. Mm -hmm. They were just selling it all. Oh, Casey and the Sunshine Band? Yeah, I'll give you $3 for that. <laughs> it's. I'm going to take you through this, but this is one of these track records. It's so hard to do because they don't win. They are shitty, but yet they got two titles. That's mm -hmm. better than 75% of baseball teams. More on the on-field stuff in a moment, but that's the background. Now, ownership. I'm doing something retroactively, David. I have to chronicle Jeffrey Loria because he is such a big part of their history. Okay. Then Jeets decides to buy the team, and he might be just as bad he as He might Laurie. be. But for the historians, now Roberto may appreciate this, but Jeffrey Loria has been coined baseball's most hated man. Okay, <sighs> that right there probably lands you on the owner shithead index. It's a strong opening statement. But Loria... Bought the Expos, and it was his design to take them out of Montreal. Yes. He had this whole deal. He wanted 
the province and the whole it's always fun too. Canadian sports and baseball teams, you can't call it a state. It's a province. <laughs> you have like a minister of finance. It sounds all so proper. Yeah, it does. But he demanded, you know, oh, I want you to pay for I think at the time it was Labatt Park. Um, he lost the land to it, the whole thing. But here's the point. When Loria got rid of them, it's one of the most disgraceful things you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. He he had this handshake deal with Bud Selig that he would sell the Expos mm-hmm. to the league. And he didn't even have a contract signed. He, it was like this agreement where he would sell it to the league. He would then have John Henry, who owned the Marlins at the time, now owns the Red Sox, sell the Marlins to him, and then the league would move the team where they wanted to move it. Here's the best part. Not only did this dirtbag rip the Expos away, and I'll never forgive him for that. I know. I love that team. I love the logo. The I had an Expos hat. I was the biggest Vladdy Guerrero fan on the planet. Best logo ever. 94, they would have won the World Series if the strike didn't happen. Yes, they would I have. stand by that. Here's my point. Loria, you want to talk about a low-rent scumbag? <laughs> he took everything. Baseballs, underwear, computers, desks, the whole staff. Everything went to Florida. Yep. So people make a big deal about the Baltimore Colts leaving for Indy. Mm. Roberto, he took the fucking computers. He's like, like, he's he like Gordon Ge- He's Gordon Gecko. Yeah. yeah. Why'd you have to wreck that team? Because it's wreckable. Yeah. I mean, it, it was almost like boiler room when they had the empty warehouse full of the phone banks. Oh, oh, he took everything. So you're dealing with a real bad dude. But here's mm-hmm. the worst part. So he buys him in 02, $158 million, And it has been a fiasco ever since. Now they go out, they win the World Series. Right? Yep dismantle the team within 18 months. Yes, he did. It was to a point where the only guys left were Dontrell and Cabrera, yep. and they it, fire-sailed them. Yep. Hello, Detroit. The point is, embarrassing. It was every bit as embarrassing after what the former owner, Wayne Huizenga, did after the night, what was it, the 98 title. They, yes. they, sold, they essentially sold the whole team for Mike All Piazza. Gone. All right, so you got Jeffrey Laurie. Now, Laurie, this is the brutal part. He brokered, and I know Miami-Dade County's a part of it, but you'd like to believe a human being's got a soul. He brokers the most unfair, shameful stadium deal in history where he scare tactics and hoodwinks and just wrecks Miami-Dade County into paying half a billion dollars that they don't have. Mm. Go back and look at the stadium deal. They didn't just cut a deal. They had to go sell bonds on Wall Street. Oh, man. He gets them to put in half a billion. And the best part, by the time Miami-Dade County's done paying for Marlin Stadium, which no one goes to in 2048, the note that'll be due, $2.4 billion. Now, why does this matter to you? Because it's simple. Loria wanted to sell the team earlier, but didn't. Mm-hmm. He waited an extra year. Why would he do that? Because in the agreement when he bought the team is that if he sold it within the first 10 years, he would owe Dade County certain things. Mm. Dade County puts up half a billion dollars. He waits the extra year almost to the damn day. Mm. Sells the team, and you know what he repaid? Nothing. Ooh. Basically through this agreement, all right, the county was entitled to profits if Loria sold them within 10 years, but the lawyers found a loophole, mm-hmm. got Loria off the hook, no revenue sharing, 
Then Loria could deduct the team's debt, Ugh. certain expenses, and taxes tied to the sale. He did that. Mm-hmm. That was $280 million in debt that lowered the profits from the $1.2 billion sale. Plus, plus, based on getting more valuable each year, he you could add in $300 million in taxes tied to the sale by Loria and Partners. In total, his accountants said that a $1.2 billion sale netted him a loss of 141 mil. He deducted the $30 million fee he paid to the financial advisors hired to negotiate the deal. This is scumbaggery yeah. at an unbelievable level. <laughs> hey guys, it's Sully here, and I want to take a minute to talk to you about our good friends over at Copper Craft Distillery. So Holland, Michigan, west side of the state, and if you haven't checked them out yet, you owe it to yourself to at least go check them out. Whether your drink of choice is bourbon, whether it's whiskey, whether it's gin, like Wojo, whether it's vodka, whatever it is, they have it all, and they have a lot of great products for you to try. I've tried pretty much all their products. I've been out there to Holland, and they do a really, really nice job, and they've been winning all sorts of awards. They've won awards for their distillery. They've won awards especially for their bourbon, and they're in all sorts of liquor stores, all sorts of local restaurants. They're also all over social media, so go to their website, coppercraftdistillery.com, and yes, you can find them on Twitter, you can find them on Instagram, you can find them on Facebook. I actually got a tweet the other day from someone here at a local bar. They tweeted me a photo of Coppercraft sitting at the bar, and they had to give it a try, and they really, really enjoyed it. So give Coppercraft a try. One more time, their website, that's coppercraftdistillery.com. Holland, Michigan, check them out. Whatever your drink of choice is, they got it. Coppercraft Distillery. Jeter takes over. Yep. What does Jeter immediately do? He goes to the handbook. He starts selling guys off. We're cutting the payroll, slashing the payroll. They're they're selling. The best thing that Jeter did, nobody goes to Marlins Park. Mm -hmm. They had that hideous art structure. He tells Miami-Dade County, (laughs) like the Art Society, listen, I know legally we're not allowed to move this, but due to us needing to build a standing room only (laughs) portion of the stadium, we just can't have the home runatron here. Who the fuck are you kidding? There's no one who goes to Marlin games. Uh-huh. The Marlins ownership, I'm telling you right now, and I'm not handing these out like candy, they are the definition from their inception with Jeffrey Loria from the time he got there to Derek Jeter taking over. This entire ownership history of this team, I am granting them an inarguable, unimpeachable, undebatable a 10, a gold-plated Ooh. 10 from 1 to 10 on your owner's a shithead scale. How can you not? They are a 10. I, I just don't even think it's debatable, but I will offer it. Now, D- David, anything there? I don't think that's debatable. I think they're for sure 10 because then when you add in that Jeter then traded Stanton to his former team. Sold him. It really much. They got nothing for him. And then you talk about him. Re- taking a credential away from a media member because they ripped them. Apparently, they decided to put the British Virgin Islands as their uh, citizenship as a team in a lawsuit. And because of that, this reporter rips the team. Then the, re- then the reporter, his credential gets taken away from Jeter. Because of all that, I have to agree with the team. How about the other Jeter thing? He goes to David Sampson, yes. who, who ended up getting fired. He goes to Sampson yes. and asks him to fire legends like Andre Dawson, <laughs> Tony Perez, Jack McKe- you know, Gambler Jack with uh-huh. the cigar, the guy who won the title in 98. Yep. He was putting bullets in everybody. And the best way, the best thing, 
You got Dade County suing to recover some of their profits uh, from the sale of the team. Uh, it, it, it's just the whole thing is just, and I'm glad you pointed that BVI thing. Look, it's a, crazy. It, it's a ten. It, it's dull. It's dull into another level. If yeah. I could give an eleven, <laughs> I'd give it. All right, on field failure. This one's a little difficult. They've had no success in 26 years, except for two good years. Right. They won the title both two years. Now, if you go through baseball. Not that I'm asking you to do this, Roberto. You have to trust in me that a vast majority of teams do not have two World Series. Or if they do, it might be over 100 years. Mm -hmm. They got two in 26 years. Now, after each World Series, they forcibly and immediately had embarrassing yard sales where they (laughs) sold players for nothing. Mm -hmm. David, I don't know what to do with this. On one hand, I'd love to give them a 10 for embarrassment, but that's not accurate. Mm -hmm. I can't give them a 1 or a 2. I almost feel like they should be a five because two World Series in a quarter of a century is still outpacing average. Right. A five, but due to the fire sales and the embarrassing nature of said fire sales, I would have to knock them below average and go to a four? Okay. You tell me. Wow. Um, Well, they don't have any division titles, um, but because of the fire sales, yeah, I think I have to agree with that four. I mean, they sat here and won two World Series, and then immediately, within three years of one of those teams, everybody was gone. The next year, after the 97 team, everyone that was gone. And it was embarrassing because the deals weren't even good. Right. They were straight financial dumps. They didn't fire sale. It's like the new Geico commercial with, how did that chair get out here? And it's like, they were putting the players out duct taped here take it 10 bucks you got it oh. yeah i think they won 90 something games in 97 when they won the world series won 54 the next year yes so because of that they really had no shot to even repeat or go for it again you know how players like to try to go for the repeat they couldn't do it you know fun note i had a disastrous fantasy baseball season a few years after that mm-hmm. i midstream changed my team name to 1998 marlins We were such a fucking disaster. I was so embarrassed. I did. But no, I mean, David, here's the other thing. 26-year existence, only six seasons above 500. Yeah. I would go four because two World Series are inarguable, but there's shame associated with them. Do you agree with that? I will agree with that. Would you hold this against them, too, that the Marlins were the first team in MLB history to have a dance cheer team? Wow. Is that... Leave it to Roberto to bring up something that's got sex appeal to Why it. Why do you need a dance team in baseball, That's by what the I'm way. asking. I don't yeah, but it. I mean, then you're getting in the business of, like, do you hold it against Philadelphia for having the Philly fanatic? Right. Who looks like a complete jerk? <laughs> or, like, Paws, who's busy, like, no, belly bumping people? I love mascots. So mascots are acceptable, cheer teams aren't? I think in baseball, it's just weird, right? I've never heard of that. They were the first, but I think there's more out there now. Let me, so. you, let me ask you a question. If you have a cheer team, but nobody comes out to see it, do you have a cheer team at all? No, it's like a tree falls in the woods. Yes. <laughs> it's a waste of money now. I right? Would, all right, so hold on. File it under off-field embar- embarrassment. Yep. We know the Loria-Jeter combo is Hall of Fame worthy. Yep. While Roberto's showing me the evidence of the cheer team at the old uh, ballpark, which is where the Dolphins play. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, Looks like the waitstaff of a local bar. You know, I will tell you if you— Okay, all right. Thank you. I will tell you, uh, for our local audience here in Detroit, a former Tiger, Justin Upton, he hit one of the longest home runs I have ever seen in that dog shit, empty, not a baseball <laughs> park. Roberto, I got to find this thing for you. It, he he destroyed this baseball, 
and went upper deck. And I mean, there was not a human being on that side of the ballpark. <laughs> he hit the shit out of this ball like you wouldn't believe. Mm. It was one of the home runs where you went, well, I've never seen a ball go to that part of the park. Wow. And no one's there you, to get it. Now, Roberto will find it. I'm trying. <laughs> it was when he was at the Arizona Diamondbacks. 2011. That sounds about oh. right. And if it's in Florida... And Against Marlins in 2011. In Marlins Park. And the game of the walk-off single. That's, no, not a single. Oh, no. no, this is a single. No, it's a home run. No, but find it on your own time. We got shit to do. <laughs> now, off-field embarrassment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Category three of the four pillars of futility. I would file a lot of the actions by ownership causing the team off-field embarrassment. You have the embarrassment firing legends. Mm -hmm. You have the embarrassment of not giving Dade County any of the money. The embarrassment of the stadium deal. I find the Marlins' complete existence, along with the fact that most of their games, you have more people in a homeless shelter than you do in their stadium. Mm -hmm. I would put the Marlins with off-field embarrassment. I don't want to dole out a 10 like candy, but David, you're going to have to convince me here. Well, I'm looking at attendance here when it comes to off-field, and you talk about the fans not showing up. Well, that's Category 4. Category 4. Off-field embarrassment's number 3. We'll get to the fans in a minute. Okay, well then, let me ask you this. Will the Mike Piazza situation become an off-field situation? Elaborate Be for the people. Because Mike... Mike Piazza was traded for the entire team <laughs> in 1998, but then eight days later, they begin. They didn't trade Mike Piazza to the Mets. I think, come on, that has to be an off-field embarrassment. The fact that you trade your entire team for a player eight days later, he's then gone again? That, that seems like an off-field embarrassment All to right, me. All right, fine. Add it in. My point is, does it get high enough with off-field embarrassment? I think we need to reserve hmm. a 10 but I'd go a nine for the Marlins from the stadium deal to the very public embarrassments that ownership has put them through to the 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 issues with fans. I, mm. I'd put the Marlins at a nine. I, I think the Marlins are an absolute disgrace, top to bottom, throughout their history. It's Wow, now I really want to go a 10 because they really, Miami-Dade County is really in bad financial straits because I know, of everything. But I think we should save it. I mean, we're only on our second team of what's going to be like a 13-part series. I agree, and because of that. I'm going to be doing these, these friggin' organizational pods right. in 2023. You'll blow your wad. Yeah, a, a 10 <laughs> is value for a team that really deserves it, so I'll, I'll go 9. Let's I'll go, agree with you. We'll go 9 to be safe. Yes. Now, the last one, and this is... This is tough. Are your fans assholes? <laughs> now, look, we define this as a couple of things. Uh, uh, the most obvious answer is, you know, mouthy. You like to fight people. You're angry. You're an asshole. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that I can't say about Marlin fan. I think this fan base has been mistreated. But here's the other problem. And I'm sorry to our friends in Florida, because believe it or not, we do have download numbers in Florida. I think Florida is one of the worst states for professional sports in yeah. America. Mm -hmm. It is the most bandwagon, um, passionless, geriatric, garbage state in America. They only support the biggest of winners. Mm -hmm. they, they have no passion. There's not a team there that people have passion for. Don't tell me the Dolphin fans are passionate. They're not. Heat fans, they're not. Right. Marlin fans, forget it. They built a new stadium and barely drew 20,000 people. You're right. In this sense, I almost believe... 
that I could give this award out to the entire state of Florida for being a collective <laughs> asshole. The, I think Florida is a horrendous state, and Miami is a horrendous sports town that even though the fans have been given no good reason to go, the fan support was so bad for so long, mm -hmm. I almost kind of want a bizarro world give them a bad grade here. Talk through this with me. You know no, what? no points for like Pitbull, Gloria Estefan. <laughs> Wait a minute, people Mr. that make appearances. <laughs> okay, can you can you research has has Mister Three Hundred Five done a performance yeah, at a Marlins game? Oh my God, he's wearing white pants. Is that at a Marlins game <laughs> or at the stadium? My, hold on, he's, hold he's on. there, right? Oh my God, no, that, that's the All Star game. Oh, see, but he's, there but he's you wearing go. The uniform. That's why he's there. But I tell you, those white pants are aggressive. Good for him. Um, I, I just, David, where do you go with this? See, look, I agree with you about the entire state of Florida. They didn't care about the Panthers. The Lightning they only cared about when they won. You got the Bucks only cared about when they won. I hate Miami fans. No one goes to the Rays, but you're right. In Miami, they don't have a fan base overall. But I can't put the sins of the, I don't know, I but, mean, the sins of the other team. I can't but, put on the Marlins. But here's the thing. Can you blame the fans for being how they are when they their teams were sold off after winning championships? You don't. Get to, you don't even gain a fan base when you win a World Series and then the next year everything's completely different. You're right. So it's kind of hard for the fan base to stick around and stay in here when their team is completely different different after winning it and your owner, they screwed your county over. You're paying hand over fist for things because of the bad ownership. He's convincing me. If Roberto. they don't like the owner, they're <laughs> not going to show up to the games. You're, you're convincing me. I'm looking at the attendance. They are well below the NL average in every year but three in their existence. Okay, so how about this then? We could use this example again. Mm -hmm. If there are no fans, mm. then is there an asshole at all? Yeah. Like, I, if they never had a fan base, how can I ba bag on a fan base that was never there to begin with? Right. I mean, you hated the owners all through the inception, right. public embarrassments. You know what? Okay. No fan base is 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 guilt-free, but David, do we just dole out a one? <laughs> I think we might have to give them a one. I really do. I don't think they've ever had the opportunity to become an asshole. Right. I agree. That's fair. That's fair. It's it's in the embryonic stages 26 years later. Yep. They've never been able to really uh, sow their oats. Their biggest attendance, 93, first year. Of course, everyone's going to show it well over the NO average. Sure. And in 2012, new stadium. They were still below the average, but they were just there. Everyone's showing up because of the excitement of one year, a new team, the excitement of a new stadium. And Other you, than that, they didn't care. And if you won a World Series but immediately had your guts ripped out. It's no fan base. You can't I, build it. I'm going to go with a one, which is probably the lowest possible score. Yep. That brings the Marlins. Now, last week— the New York Knicks had a 26.5 score. The Miami Marlins, the Florida Marlins, a 10 mm -hmm. for owner shithead index, mm -hmm. a 4 <laughs> for on-field futility, Yep. a 9 for off-field embarrassment, feeling like we may have overdone it there, but I don't care. I mm -hmm. hate the Marlins. And a one in a controversial debate as to if you can call a fan base assholes if there's no <laughs> fan base at all. Right. That brings the Marlins' total score on the worst organizations in sport, 
to a 24 overall. Nice. So the Knicks maintain number one overall. The Marlins are at number two. Hmm. All right. Thanks for listening. As always, if you'd be so kind, we would really appreciate it, especially Roberto's kids. If you would go to iTunes and radio.com, subscribe, share, and write a review if you feel real passionate one way or the other about what we're doing. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you guys next week.